Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. the audible presented by trader joe's i'm Stuart mandel joined as always by bruce feldman in a minute we are going to get into the latest uh playoff committee rankings that came out tuesday night we've got a lot of good mailbag questions to get to but first real quick bruce um michigan jim harbaugh probably one of the toughest programs to crack in terms of what's going on behind the scenes you had a great story up on the athletic on tuesday morning um about a figure that i I don't even know if most Michigan fans know about him, much less college football fans nationally. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, his name is Biff Pogey. If you are a if you really know a ton about recruiting, especially on the East Coast, you may have heard of him. Or there's a really uh, there's a New York Times bestselling book about his high school program, written by Jeffrey Mark, Season of Life, about 20 years ago. Um, I'll be honest, I knew of Biff had ne- had never interacted with him or anything like that, and because Fox Sports had had four big noon games in a row that were Michigan, there was a, one of the guys I know on the Michigan staff had introduced me to Biff before one of the games, and I talked to him for maybe five, ten minutes that day, maybe ten minutes. And then I saw him the next week and talked to him for like 20 minutes. And then um, it just kind of grew from there where I talked to people inside the program, people who were there last year, And one of the things that started to come up when I was like, yeah, I had a really interesting talk with Biff this week was what has changed about Michigan? How does Jim Harbaugh go from two and four? Remember, that was the year where they got blown out by almost everybody and they didn't even play Ohio State because of the pandemic. Um, He takes a massive pay cut. He's really on the hot seat. And then all of a sudden since then, they're 21 and two and 14 and one in the Big Ten. So what changed? And the answer, when you start talking to a lot of people inside the program, players, coaches, staff alike, biggest difference is really kind of the stuff Biff does. And it's really, you hear the term about culture a lot when it comes to football and from coaches, and probably nobody can speak to it better than he can. You got a really interesting background. And so I knew I had a good story just from the people I talked to and the responses, but just to see the reaction this morning when it went up, you know, there are people who just speak glowingly about him. And so, and, and maybe a footnote to this, I would not be surprised if uh, Biff Pogey, Jim Harbaugh's right-hand man, is running his own college program a couple months wow. from now. Wow. A couple months from now. Yes. That would require um, this guy that basically was completely behind the scenes for the most part, being on the radar of search committees, I mean, uh, search firms, ADs, you feel like he's he's got that much notoriety now? Uh, I think he has that. And the other thing is, so for people who haven't read the story, um, in addition to being an exceptionally successful high school coach before this, he also um, 
made a fortune as a hedge fund manager. And so he doesn't need any of the money. He's never taken any salaries from this. He, and you can read it in the story about just kind of how he, his, his way of managing people. And I think that's the biggest thing that is key and why I think when he gets in front of ADs, they look and go, well, this is, yeah, this guy's in his early sixties, but they hear stuff that's just different. He kind of blows people away because I think they're thinking just a football coach and there's so much more going on here. He reminded me of um, out here in Silicon Valley. Um, there was a famous coach. He was a football coach, but, but he eventually, you know, got out of football and became basically a coach to CEOs of these tech companies and kind of exactly the role, not exactly, but a lot like the role described in your story of, you know, these guys, especially if, if you're a first time head coach or in Josh Gaddis's case, you know, new OC at a school or an OC who's bringing in new coaches, like you just need a sounding board who's not on your staff, who's not somebody who's already uh, kind of part of the dynamic that you're trying to solve for. So highly recommend people go on The Athletic and read Bruce's story. Um New rankings came out Tuesday night. Wouldn't say there's anything too controversial in there. I think the thing I was most curious about is how they would treat Tennessee coming off the, the loss to Georgia. And the answer is number five, one spot behind undefeated TCU. So the people who were upset that TCU was undefeated, TCU was behind uh, one loss teams last week. They are um, number four going and into you're this good game against that, right? Texas. You're good with I'm, Tennessee. I'm good with it just because it'll get this will all get decided. Um, if TCU goes undefeated, they're going to go to the playoff. If they lose, um, not saying they're out, but it's going to be a tougher task. I mean, they're one spot ahead of Tennessee. Let me if throw they you lose a to Texas this week. They're probably going to fall behind them. Let's let's put TCU aside for a minute, and and but let's say on the SEC piece of this, uh, LSU moved up to six from number Seven. ten. Number seven, I'm sorry, to, from number 10. And I would argue they control their own destiny. If they win out, which would include beating Georgia in the SEC title game, that would be an 11-2 and two LSU, which got blown out at home by Tennessee. Assuming they don't get blown out, assuming, assuming LSU doesn't now blow out Georgia by like 30, I think it's going to – I feel like Georgia is, is the one team that's kind of clinched a spot. Because they have a huge win over Oregon. Now, look, maybe Oregon loses, you know, to Washington this week or something, or just becomes irrelevant and ends up, you know, eight and four or nine and three, and then they're it's not as big a deal. But I think that here they are, Georgia's sitting there with a huge win over over Oregon. They have a dominant win over Tennessee. Now, even if they lose to LSU which I, I would be surprised if that happens, quite frankly. But if they did, I would think it's going to be LSU and Georgia going, that's the only way Tennessee, barring a stumble along the way, Tennessee gets knocked out. <laughs> There's a real mind bender in that scenario that you described that I was trying to figure out earlier and I really can't, which is how do you order? order I think in that scenario, because LSU's won the championship, and beat Georgia, I think they would have to be the highest ranked of the three, I think, and then Georgia, and then Tennessee, but then somehow Tennessee is the is the third of the three. 
I don't think you're despite taking Despite having two. one fewer loss than LSU and having clobbered LSU in their own field. And beat Alabama. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, there's no – it's a it's a riddle how you would – what order you would rank those teams in. And also, does that mean all three of them get in? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. think so. But, I like, mean, what I what I think is is – curious about this is usually when you've beaten a team especially if it's handling they're a ranked team your fans should be rooting for that team because then it doesn't kind of water down the victory right in this case if i am a tennessee fan you know, you're, you're kind of rooting against your own interest a little bit by saying you know you want them to lose to georgia so now all of a sudden they're going to be at least a three loss team but you may not even you know like you don't want that they're a little too close for comfort at this point they are they are and I honestly don't know how the committee would handle that. But if you're wondering, oh, would they let a two-loss team in, I would remind you that in 2017, Auburn had two losses and was number two. I looked this up. They were already up to number two going into the conference title game. So they would have made it if they beat Georgia. They didn't. Um, so so I think, you know, look, they're all about, as you reminded me, quality wins, top 10 wins, top 25 wins. And that trio of teams is going to have – more than most the funny thing is that for all the flack the pac-12 takes like they they they're like the next one to me like they have four teams in the top 13 and over the next couple of weeks you're going to see a bunch of them play each other and it's gonna be a great chance for them to add to their resume oregon being i don't know you tell me i think oregon's the favorite to win the conference i feel like they have the best all-around team and they've already beaten one of the other contenders in ucla but, you know, you said, hey, it's possible that they lose a couple down the stretch. Yeah, I don't know. Like, they're all – everybody's flawed, but especially – I mean, USC, as you pointed out on, on social media, you know, they have no top 25 wins. Their defense is really bad. I mean, it's not as bad as it was last year, but it's still bad. Um, they do everything with the offense, and the offense is, is golden, and I think it's going to stay that way. But – you have UCLA, which is kind of banged up right now. Their defense is, is better than USC's, but not by a lot, I don't think. Um, and they're going to play each other. And in, at least in UCLA's case, if they win, they get a chance to avenge their loss, which happened to, at Oregon. Um, yeah. Oregon's Oregon to me is playing the best of the three of them of the three of them right now. But it's not like you know, like I wouldn't be surprised if any of them beat each other. And then you have Utah, which to me has the most of an I fully formed identity, you know, it's like, I mean, Utah I could come in and really mess things up for people because yeah, they, Utah's not making the playoff, but they're, but they could they really can, mess it up. They can yeah. mess up the playoff. Yeah. Well, look, they've already, they beat us. They handed USC their one loss. Um, they lost to UCLA. If they beat Oregon in a couple weeks, um, you know, there goes the current highest ranked team in the Pac-12. And now you're and like, I don't I don't think I don't think USC is going to be able to withstand facing that UCLA offense. Notre Dame doesn't have a prolific offense, but it is going to be probably, a you know, a decent game for them. And if they do get in the Pac-12 game, they're going to again face somebody with a really good offense. And I just don't think that defense can withstand that. It'll all get you know sorted out, thankfully, because they're all playing each other. I think the amazing thing is that if you had told us, on, if we had said on opening day, after they lost 49 to three, that Oregon would be number six in the playoff rankings on November 8th, right? I mean, they're not that far out already. Um, and so the idea that 
well, I don't know if the committee's ever going to be able to overlook the Georgia game. They pretty much already have. Like, they don't have that much ground to make up at this point. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I think that's that's noteworthy considering it's not like, you know, they they beat UCLA at home. It's not like Oregon has a, like, an awe-inspiring, like, slate that they've made it through. No, they're about to go through it, right? They've got Washington's ranked. They're coming to Eugene this week. Utah's number 13. That's the next week. Oregon State was ranked last week. They play them. And then Pac-12 title game. Like, they could end the season playing three top 25 teams in four weeks. You know, they whipped BYU, but that was when BYU was probably a little more well thought of than they are. You know, it's like kind of looking at this thing because, again, as you pointed out, USC does not have a lot to show for them. I mean, I'm going through this right now. Like, again, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle – a little Oregon here, but it's a three three point win at at Washington State. You know, obviously Stanford's not good. That was really the last time anyone came close to them, though. No, and then, but it's, but it's really like like UCLA is the one win that's like okay, that's a really good team, or that's at least a team close to the rankings. I mean, Washington State is five and four. You know, Colorado is atrocious. Cal is not good. I mean, Cal. Cal's not good at all. They lost to Colorado. Arizona's, you know, pretty mediocre. Stanford's terrible. I mean, this is why this is why it's better to be in a top-heavy conference than a deep conference. Because here we're talking about Oregon. They're like they're sixth. They're only two spots behind TCU, despite having lost that game forty-nine to three. And I feel like TCU almost every week is playing somebody it could lose to. Right? You know, just in the last let's see. Since since October 8th, they played Kansas, and Kansas was ranked at the time, I think, before Jalen Daniels got hurt. Then they played an Oklahoma State team that was ranked 8th, a Kansas State team that was ranked 17th. At West Virginia, not a good team, but a road game. Texas Tech, and now they'll play over the next two weeks at Texas, at Baylor. To me, like it's not it's not uh, uh, the, the Tennessee gauntlet, but compared to what you just described about Oregon or USC, that's a gauntlet. But but on but the flip side is you look at the rankings and this Texas game is probably the last chance they'll have to beat a top twenty five team. Um, you think TCU yeah. is, being, is, is having it held against them the, towards the end of the GP era where they were really mediocre? I mean, you yourself had them at what were you think they were a five and seven kind of team? I don't even want to try to remember. But it was like it was something like <laughs> it was they, were, bad. they were coming off, coming out of the uh, off the scrap heap largely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think that 
first of all, as people have said, and I agree, if they had the same exact resume with Oklahoma or Texas on their jerseys, I think they'd have more respect. But it's not just a subjective thing. I mean, they're a seven-point underdog to Texas this week. The All the Vegas, not just Vegas, like all every, and I know you're not the world's biggest fan of FPI and S&P and all that, but um, look, they're, the reason I put stock in the Vegas point spread is because that they have money, you know, many, many, many dollars will swing on them getting that point spread right. And they clearly think Texas is a better team than TCU, regardless of the record. So it's like, it's not just casual fans. It's not just committee members. Yeah, because going into the year, they'll have like a Mississippi State number five or like it'll there'll <laughs> be something that you'll have to look at and go, hmm, this is sitting here. This is really invalidating. This is like torpedoing our credibility. We need to come up with a formula that doesn't put that there. I think the FPI preseason is pretty worthless because it's basically some formula of recruiting rankings, um, returning starters, blah, 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 blah. But as you get into the season, it's actually a pretty good predictor um, of football games. No, I actually got a mailbag question about why Texas is ranked as high as they are. So it did cause me to refresh my memory on the formula and whatnot. And they basically have a similar record. Their model has a pretty similar prediction record as um, as the Vegas point spread, which is what they measure those models against. So if TCU keeps winning, this takes care of itself. But because they're not really getting a lot of benefit of the doubt, I think if they lose at Texas this week, they'll have a hard time getting back into it. Not to the extent of Clemson, who clearly the committee decided that was a pretty unforgivable loss at Notre Dame, and they dropped them all the way to 10th. Um, one loss, Clemson got dragged behind two loss, LSU, two loss, Alabama. Not a lot of respect there. Um, real quick, we're gonna get to the mailbag. There's a scenario where you could have, and it's a pretty realistic one, where everybody always complains about like this sport is so great and has such an anticlimactic postseason sometimes where it comes out and everybody's like, I, I don't, I don't really want to see that. Think about then Scott Doctor and I in our bowl projections today have um, a, a Tennessee Georgia rematch in one semifinal, Michigan against Oregon in the other. Think of those four teams. What do they all have in common? <laughs> Two of them Georgia has clobbered this year, and the third Georgia clobbered in the playoff last year. Like that's not going to excite people, um, but but that's that's where it is. Yeah, that's the hand you're dealt. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll see how it goes out. Let's uh, let's get to the mailbag. We didn't get a chance to do it last week. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. The first question is from Curie in Brooklyn. Let me uh, direct this at you, Bruce, because you told me okay. that when you were at TCU this weekend, you met Brett Yormark, the Big 12 commissioner, for the first time. And it just so happens that Curie asks us, Against all pundit and naysayer narratives about the future of the Big, Big 12, the commish delivered. Two questions about Brett Yormark. Did his unique background coming to the college game from a hip, multi-platform, media, talent conglomerate like Rock Nation allow him to think outside the box compared to an athletic administrator or lifer like Bob Bowlesby? And then how long do you think he stays in the Big 12? Pardon me, says he'll get restless and pine for the bright lights of the big city again. Or he knows sees the exponential growth of live programming, and he's a captain of one of its main ships. Any guesses? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I did get to spend a little time with him in Fort Worth this weekend, um, and had a you know like 
I think the answer to your first question is yes. I do think his unique background, which honestly was a that made it very attractive for the Big Twelve to 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 um, to kind of focus on him and its search with other people who kind of had more of the Bowlesby kind of path. And I think that was attractive to them. They it was unconventional. Look, sometimes unconventional doesn't work. And you know, Larry Scott was outside the box, but he was almost so far outside the box that he wanted to stay outside the box. He didn't even want to look what was in the box, you know, kind of thing. Whereas I think your mark, just from our conversation, even there are certain things where it's like, all right, you know, he wasn't NASCAR. He he had a lot more of a like there was a lot more of a with it factor that you felt maybe more than certainly Larry. I don't want to say George Klyovkov, who also has a less conventional background. Um, and that was attractive to the Pac-12. I just think what you see is a guy who's been really aggressive here. Um, and he's got a team around him that I think is very aggressive on it. I don't, you know, my guess is, you know, how long does he stay? I don't know if anybody stays anywhere for, for that long. Like unless you're, you know, Greg Sankey, came up through the business in a different way. But for the people who kind of swoop in, I don't know if, you know, six, eight years seems like it's a long time. But six or eight years will will set the course of the Big 12 for a long, long time. So, I mean, we'll have to, you know, take him as his word. I think he, you know, he talked about how much he was excited about being in Dallas. So, I mean, what else is going to say? But, but. But I think this is a this is definitely a chance to really have a footprint, and I think he was very excited about that. Let's not forget these Power Five commissioners are paid a lot, and I don't know what he was making at his previous job, but like I always wondered why Larry Scott. At times, I wondered why he was sticking around as long as he did, because it just didn't seem like doing the TV deal and launching the network like that was his sweet spot. Actually, running a college athletics conference didn't seem all that like you'd be all that interested in it. But then you see like uh, uh, Steve Berkowitz, the guy who at USA Today is always reporting. Larry Scott made $5.4 million this year. Like, oh, that's why he's staying. Well, look, I mean, like Mark Emmert, he was making a fortune from yeah. the NCAA to basically be a wrestling villain. You know? like- <laughs> to keep taking the bullets for them. It's true. It's true. Um, look, I think I, I would, I, my sense of him, I haven't met him but having watched him operate now for however many months is he's very aggressive. He's, he's almost ruthless. The, the lengths he's gone to, to put out this narrative that they're going to raid the PAC 12 uh, and that they're the place to be. And, and, you know, there's another story today that you could just tell he has his, his fingerprints on yeah. that. Hey, you know, be careful. PAC 12 schools. They're going to put you on Amazon. Nobody's going to ever see your games. You should come over here. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not what I'm trying to say. It's very uncollege athletics like doesn't mean it's bad he just got himself the deal he wanted but it's very as uncollegial uncollegial um uh kevin warren much the same way i would say just just kind of ruthless um but that's it's a big business it's a multi-billion dollar business now how much can you gobble up i mean and i think there is strength in numbers and you kind of see that like i mean you know it's interesting you bring up kevin warren's name because i just feel like his his um, arc from like kind of beleaguered to empowered to, um, you know, he has grown and he's growing and, you know, like, and because I think he, 
you're dealing from strength. And I, I think so much of that is, you know, it's probably somebody who could talk about like how it's almost like a board game of sorts and who's got, who's collected the most properties and how it works and dealing from strength. And it's just interesting to see the personalities emerge. It was also a really good time for him that he came on right as they were about to do this TV deal, because that's the most important thing you're going to do as commissioner. But also once it's done, I mean, a year from now, um, or I don't know how long, like most of his job is not going to be that it's going to be, Oh, there was a bad call in the uh, Oklahoma state, Kansas state game this week. We're going to put out a statement or, you know, uh, we're launching a, a student athlete uh, welfare initiative, like all the just kind of stuff we get emails about all the time. I mean, um, it's not going to be when is the biggest market going to get, get the network here. <laughs> it's not going to be, uh, although he's promising to make the Big 12 more hip, so we'll see what that entails. There's a, This next one from Jacob is going to invoke a name that used to be mentioned on this podcast, I would say, for at least a year, every week. We haven't heard it in a while. So Jacob says, hey, Stu and Bruce, I was wondering why I hadn't heard Joe Brady's name for any of the recent coaching openings. I feel like a few years ago, people would have jumped to have him as their OC or head coach, particularly at a small school. Is there a reason I haven't heard of schools trying to hire him even as a coordinator after the Panthers thing didn't work out? Uh, Joe Brady doesn't really want to, he wants to be in the NFL. He does not want to be a college coach. You know, he didn't like, he did some recruiting for LSU, but remember he didn't really last even a full calendar year there. So I think that like right now, Joe Brady is, is Josh Allen's quarterback coach and that thing's rolling. So I think Joe Brady would probably love to be an NFL head coach at some point, you know, and as much as he had time at Penn State under James Franklin and Joe Moorhead, I mean, he was with the Saints. You know, he blew up at LSU, and that turned out really well. And then it didn't go great, obviously, with the Panthers. But now I think his, you know, his stock will go up. I don't see him coming back to college football. I just don't think that's where he wants to be. I mean, it seems like X's and, o, X's and O's is his, his bread and butter. Um, working with, we worked with Joe Burrow and I was working with, uh, like you said, Josh Allen, I could absolutely see him becoming an NFL head coach at some point. And I could see why given his personality, his skill set, that would be a lot more appealing than being the next head coach at a Mac school or Virginia, you know, whatever, Virginia, you know, whatever, whatever Colorado, like a, Arizona way, you, state. You know, yeah. it's funny. I'm, I'm kind of glad, you know, this question, but, do you know how old Joe Joe Brady is right now? Wasn't I mean he was he was super young at, at the LSU. He can't be older than like 32, 33. Yeah, he's 33. So yeah. like he's he doesn't need to be in too much of a rush or like people don't, you know, it's not like all of a sudden he's the 57-year-old co head coach who's waiting for his head coaching shot. Right. All right, I'm going to ask you this one Stu. It's from Drew. Stu gave credence to the idea that, but I can't say I disagree. Tell me how Jim Mora is not coach of the year. if UConn makes a bowl game. UConn had won four games in the last three years. They played football combined prior to this season. Obviously that's because the 2020 season UConn like ODU were, I think the only schools that didn't play. He said won four games in the last three years that they played. They played football combined. Yeah. Um, not to mention the Huskies are down their QB one, RB one, RB two, plus their top four receivers, 
to injury, a defense that set the FBS record for most yards given up in a game during the last regime actually just held Boston College to three total points for the entire game. Truly remarkable stuff. Well, let's do it. We had Jim Mora on the podcast. Yes, we did. Uh, right when he got the job. Did and... you ever, in your wildest dreams, never mind have Oregon going from blowed out to uh, by 50 or whatever it was to number six two months later? Was, is that a more likely scenario than Jim Mora Jr. going from our podcast to making national coaching <laughs> honors? Let's, first of all, let me give you a quick refresher. This was UConn just last season. Lost 45 nothing to Fresno State, lost to Holy Cross, lost 49 nothing to Purdue, 52-21 to Army, close loss to Wyoming, and the close loss to Vanderbilt, then 27-13 to UMass, did beat Yale, lost 44-13 to Middle Tennessee, lost 44-7 to Clemson, 49-17 to UCF, 45-17 to Houston. So for that team to be on the cusp of a bowl is absolutely astonishing. I guess the question is for him to win coach of the year. What's more astonishing that or Lance Leipold coming into Kansas on late notice last year program hasn't won more than three games in a season since 2009 and has them already bowl eligible this year. Maybe they're going to get to like seven and five. I don't know how you, I don't know how you choose. Can they both get it? Like they could, cause there's multiple outfits that yeah. you're on. I mean, there's other guys who are certainly, you know, Sonny Dykes, you know, we talked about how bad they were and how, how good they are. Um, definitely Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel. I think Brett Bielema. Um, it's a long, but I think you're on Lance Leipold because what we're basically talking about here is two god-awful programs in UConn and Kansas. They're both m- miraculous turnarounds. They really are. Um, and also, um, uh, just on Lance Leipold, not, not to – you know, because of what um, he just said about all the injuries that that UConn's dealt with. Again, I mean, Jalen Daniels was was playing fantastic football, and then he gets hurt at midseason. You're st- starting running back; he gets knocked out for the year. Early, you know, right around that same time, and they take a hiccup, but then they keep bouncing on and 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 get to six wins. So, man, you know, I I agree. I think they're both definitely deserving. Um, maybe it's too simplistic to put it this way, but do I, I think I lean Lance Leipold just because he's doing it. He's got to be, he's, he's got Kansas, uh, you know, winning games against big 12 opponents. And I do not mean to diminish UConn here at all, but they've done it by beating central Connecticut state, Fresno state. That's a good win, by the way. Um, FIU, he had the aforementioned 13 to three win over BC, uh, UMass, and then their last two are Liberty. They're not going to beat Liberty and at Army. So I don't know. Can we just do like a, I know they're not technically group of five, but like a power five coach of the year and a group of five coach of the year. That would be fair. That would be fair. Brian in Seattle. Hey, folks. I think we're the folks. You guys seem to totally dismiss the idea of Jimbo Fisher getting fired because of the size of his buyout. But after Paul Christ, Lincoln Riley, and others, is it time to just accept? anything money related is possible it still take just one rich donor dreaming about a different coach writing a check right 86 million dollars still i don't know what the magic number is like i i'm i get what he's saying i certainly did not think i mean first there were two things in the big 10 this year that were very unbig 10 one was nebraska choosing to just 
you know, uh, we could save $7.5 million, but we don't want to wait another three weeks to fire Scott Frost. So just like monopoly money, same thing, Wisconsin didn't think they would ever pay a huge buyout to fire Paul Christ, especially uh, five games into the season or six, whatever it was. So the, the rules have changed. No question about that. But there's a big, big, big difference. I think the, the biggest buyout to this point, I want to say, was Gus Miles. It was either Gus Miles on or Willie Taggart. And it was $21.5 million. And what was the number you just said? 86? 86. It's a sizable difference. Uh, could one rich donor just go ahead and do it? Sure. But just to put that number in perspective, the whole reason Oklahoma and Texas are staying in that conference in the Big 12 for as long as they are is to avoid having to pay $80 million in exit fees. And those are, Texas in particular is the kind of school you would think they've got $80 million lying around if they really want to spend it. So that's the kind of money we're talking about. To pay that 80, like, cause it's going to be a while till it shakes down to like, you know, cause at some point somebody's going to pay a $40 million buyout. Yeah. I don't know if that's five years from now. Cause like that's where the money gets to, you know, and maybe somebody will do a $40 million buyout. I don't know what it'd be five years from now for Jimbo to get even probably down to 50 million. Well, they could also do, and it'll be, it, it will still be bigger numbers, but remember Wisconsin and Paul Chris negotiated a settlement that was somewhere in between what the contract said and zero. So the other thing in yeah. this, and somebody brought this up to me, it was actually a coach like a couple of days ago. It was like, they won't try to do one of those four cause deals. And I was like, you know, the, that would be hard to, you know, unless they have something, it'd be hard to just go, oh, yeah. He fudged his expense report. Twice, you know. <laughs> no, because if you lose that lawsuit, you still got to pay the 86 yeah, million. Yeah, that's you the know? thing. So, like... Jimbo's going to get a chance this offseason to rebuild his staff. Um, just signed it. You know, the, most of that number one recruiting class will still be there. It's not going to... I really don't think that anything's going to happen this offseason. The problem is going to be, what if he does all that? And we've seen this. Coach fires the coordinator. Tom Herman did it. Yeah. Fires the coordinator's... They did actually get better. Christophe Conti still wanted to fire him, but let's just say he gets he gets a new OC. The OC is the play caller. That's what people are hoping for. Connor Wegman going into sophomore year. Those receivers are going into their sophomore year, and they still go five and seven. When, now you've got a real problem. When my my Michigan Biff Pogey story first went up online, I noticed the first group of people, and it usually happens if you have a story that takes off where it'll hit in different pockets where it'll get traction. The first thing that was interesting that I noticed, and it was a, um, I think it started as an SB Nation site, but it might have been the Good Bull Hunting, Texas A&M, some of the folks on that were like very responsive to that story because it was like Jimbo Fisher needs to find his Biff because similarly, you know, he had a guy who was wildly successful as a head coach in Jim Harbaugh, did an amazing job at Stanford, then got the 49ers to a Super Bowl in a hurry when they hadn't been very good. And then it just kind of ran ashore and this guy became his best friend and they're really close and he listens to him. And is there that guy that Jimbo can, and I'm, you know, it's not going to be Biff, but is there going to be that somebody he would listen to? Because I think it's hard for guys who are in their fifties who've had success to put their ego, ego in the corner. Yeah. It's hard. I won a national championship. How dare you question me? Um, that's not a good formula. 
even Nick Saban himself is not stubborn and refuses to listen to new ideas. He actually, I mean, that's a big part of his hiring strategy there is bringing in people who have fresh ideas from the outside that can, he can borrow from, frankly. So, um, <clears throat> but we've seen some other coaches who are very, very stubborn and they, and that's not the course. That's not a way to course correct. So again, I don't think anybody's paying the $86 million buyout this year. I don't think Jimbo is walking away from it. Uh, he will get a chance here to, to, to make it, but I, it's just not the kind of place where you can go have seasons like this over and over. Um, you get one is what I would say. And if you have another, then they're going to, then that's when lawyers get involved and they find some way to bring that down to a just less, it'll still be a ridiculous amount, but less, less than what's being reported. We'll put it that way. Do we have time for time one? For one we got time for one more. All right. I'm going to ask this question from Eric Wolf, who is a Buckeyes fan. Do you think Alabama has as more or fewer national titles in the past 15 years if it plays in another Power Five conference? More generally, does playing an SEC schedule automatically make a team better because it has to be consistent week to week? For this year, I'm thinking of Tennessee, who had to play LSU, Alabama, Kentucky, and Georgia all in the span of five games. I think there's definitely something to that. Um, and people who, who think that there's an SEC bias or whatnot aren't going to like it, but I just can't imagine anything could prepare you more for the playoff than, than the kind of teams Alabama is going to play regularly in that conference. Now, I guess what he's a Buckeyes fan, so I guess he's suggesting that maybe the inverse of that is that Ohio State hasn't been as prepared as you'd like sometimes going into – the postseason, I think of the year they lost like 31 nothing to Clemson in the semis. And that was a that was a good team during the season. That was that was puzzling. Um, they've had a few of those where they just they get there and they don't seem prepared. But if it's all the same players, you know, all these dudes that Alabama's had over the last 15 years, they're still gonna they're still gonna win national championships. Um, you know, Clemson won national two national championships after playing in a pretty uh, light ACC schedule. So, but how many, I, I mean, do you agree with me? I think it would be fewer. I don't think it would be, I, I lose track. Are we at six, seven? Where are we? Where are we now with Alabama it's national six. titles? Six. I, I don't want to say something that is going to sound really dumb, but I think uh, the more time I spend covering the sport, I think it's really apparent, which is it's really, really, really hard to win one national title. Yeah. I mean, I, and the way I would, spin that is um when urban meyer was at ohio state if you look at the nfl talent he had i don't think it's a stretch for people to go you got all that and they don't they you know felt like they should have won more than one national title right and they, the national title they won was with all the quarterback injuries and they won it in spite of that and ezekiel Elliott went from being a back who wasn't even all like second team all league, and he ran wild in the postseason. Um, and like I said, it's just really, really hard. And I think, um, you know, what Alabama has done is mind blowing that they've been able to sustain it. Like because you had stretches where like Miami had a had a run and Nebraska had a run, but it, and certainly USC had a run, but something would invariably get in the way whether it was complacency or, you know, NCA issues or whatever, whatever it was. Um, and so for them to keep doing it and with all the change, I just don't, 
you know, I get where the question comes from and I think there's validity to it, but I just think like big picture wise, um, you know, Georgia's looks like they have a real good chance. You said the other day on our podcast, you, you're, you're like 76% confident they're going to win it all. Um, and I don't, you know, if you got, they look strong, but it would only be the second national title. Maybe they go on this amazing run, but I just think that it's so unique to what Alabama and Nick Saban did. I don't know. It's to me, like I'm thinking what, wherever they would have been, it would have carried over. You could also make the case though, that they would have, they wouldn't be getting the benefit. Like Alabama's had some teams that were fortunate to get into the playoff or the national championship game, but they did because there's a inherent benefit of the doubt that goes with coming out of that conference. Right. Um, you know, you said it's un- it's unbelievable. Urban Meyer hasn't won. He had teams that had the record, you know, that had the eleven and one, twelve and one that just didn't get picked. Um, that's like in college football. That's half the battle. You have to get it. You have to be invited into the field. And I can you think of one instance where Alabama was like on the bubble for the national championship or playoff and didn't get selected? I mean, they they always they always get picked and often then prove you right. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about what you said in terms of like years when they were a one-loss team. And I don't really, you know, I'm looking the year after they won the national title. This is 2015, which I felt like a season that was like kind of. That was the one where they, they, you only lost they, one game, but it was the game you couldn't afford to lose. because Yeah, and they, but they also had so many issues there. Yeah. Like off the field and it was like a lot of stuff and I. You know, it's funny. I remember where I was when they played Michigan State because my crew was doing Arizona, Arizona State. And I remember I spoke to you and you you were like trying to explain to me how like what happened to Ezekiel Elliott in the game. They didn't use him. I think it was Ezekiel Elliott, right? Oh, yeah. Ezekiel Elliott went off in the press conference. After yeah. That. And, you know, but like as I'm looking at that team, what's crazy to me is that game that lost, they didn't play a ranked team till then. Yeah. That was a weird season on many fronts for them. Um, the quarterback yo-yoing and whatnot. But, like, here's a good example. 2017, Alabama loses in the Irish there. They lost the Iron Bowl to Auburn and missed the uh, SEC title game because of it. Finished 11-1. and one. And then Ohio State uh, won the Big Ten but had a second loss. I just remember both that night, both Urban Meyer and Nick Saban you know, getting interviewed on Sports Center, making their case why they should get in, and and Nick Saban's wasn't a very strong case. It was basically just like, I think this team, you know, they've worked hard, they've earned their shot, and sure enough, they picked Alabama. So, I, I'm not saying there's anything like fraudulent or I mean, they've earned what they've gotten, but that that's one big key difference is he. In other words, yes, I do think that to answer the original question being in the SEC prepares you more for the playoff, but also being in the SEC gives you more benefit of the doubt to get into the playoff. Okay. Well, that was a riddle. Yes. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. We will see you on Sunday.